This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 14th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Americans are seeing images this week of the realities of police militarization. The protests in Ferguson, Missouri, follow the killing of an unarmed teenager by police. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, evaluates the police response and the federal government's involvement in providing military-grade weapons to local police. What we're seeing out of Ferguson, Missouri, is shocking. It doesn't look like the United States. And people see it and they wonder, why are armored vehicles going through um, a town just outside St. Louis? Uh, Why are police dressed in camouflage when uh, this is not the desert? This is uh, a landscape of convenience stores and gas stations. Why Uh, The sharpshooters, why the uh, immediately classic photo of a protester, I think, waving a sign with uh, the telltale red dot of a laser pointer uh, on uh, his or her chest from a sharpshooter just having fun, I guess, or thinking of um, aiming at them. Now, First thing I ever heard about gun safety was uh, don't point a gun at someone unless you would be willing to pull the trigger and shoot them. And yet uh, everyone saw from Ferguson the uh, police, uh, including ones mounted on top of vehicles, uh, aiming at uh, the people who were just protesting. Now, uh, there's so much to unpack there. There's so many different Uh, police mistakes uh, in the Michael Brown case. But the militarization is the background, and it is something that's not just Ferguson. It's not just um, a relatively poor um, uh, inner suburb. It is across the country. It is um, rural counties that have hardly any crime. It is affluent towns like Redwood City, California, uh, filled with Silicon Valley workers. Uh, All these police departments are arming themselves with what would be seen normally as warlike materials and equipment. And so it's this has brought it onto the front pages, but some, we've been waiting for something like this to happen because with all that uh, military gear out there, uh, it was inevitable that they'd start using it. A whole lot of this is being driven by the federal government. A huge amount is being driven by the federal government. And again, people don't realize that until they begin looking at the programs, most of them started or ramped up after 9-11, in which uh, billions and billions of dollars uh, of military-grade equipment have been dropped on America's local uh, police forces. Now, you have uh, just in one program, uh, the military surplus program from the Pentagon, last year alone, $449 million worth of surplus military equipment was uh, presented to Uh, local police forces. And that's just one program. Homeland Security has its own completely separate and extremely large uh, grant program, uh, which helps them buy new equipment as opposed to surplus used equipment. And uh, there are yet others. Stimulus paid for some of it. And so what you get is 
a sudden set of new incentives where there seems to be all this free stuff out there. Now, it's interesting to note what kind of free stuff it is because they don't usually set up federal programs to simply replace things you were going to spend money on anyway. So you know, every police force has all of these routine expenditures on things they've always spent money on. That's not what the federal government wants to pay for. It wants to pay for something that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And what better for something you wouldn't have gotten otherwise than a flashy toy uh, or something that the congressman can point to because it's a, um, a helicopter. People wonder what kind of gear, and it includes everything from the now famous armored vehicles, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these armored vehicles have been uh, given out lately. Uh, they are mine-resistant armored vehicles, and I have yet to hear of a single instance in which landmines were a threat to an American urban police force, uh, which are also, uh, some people may be relieved to hear, uh, protective against radiation. Again, I have not heard of a radiation threat uh, in a typical American police uh, scene. And so you've got these vehicles, you've got, um, uh, you know, rifle sights for sharp shooting, you've got body armor, you've got silencers. I'm still trying to figure out what legitimate reason a local police force would have to get silencers. Uh, and you've got grenade launchers. Now, when you think of a police department using grenade launchers, the only instance I can think of where that might have come into play was when the Philadelphia police force took down an entire city block when uh, the move people were, were barricaded. But I can't think of an instance where grenade launchers would be on hand where people feel good about, oh, yes, that's just what we wanted the local police force to do. Certainly, Situations that uh, uh, <clears throat> tend to get talked of on the floor of Congress when people are uh, passing these subsidy programs, uh, overwhelmingly, it's a combination of homeland security. Uh, you know, what would you, there, what would we do if there were a terrorist incident uh, in Cedar Rapids uh, and school shootings? Uh, after all, school shootings are terrible. Shouldn't they have some way? Now, lack of police weaponry has not typically been the problem in bringing a school shooting to an end. Uh, yeah, there isn't a reason to think that um, uh, it would make a whole lot of difference to have different uniforms for the cops or uh, d different sorts of uh, uh, body armor. But the, uh, these are the s things that push people's buttons. And they, uh, it, we know, of course, that uh, the terrorist threat uh, has not panned out in the, the way that it was widely predicted to. Uh, and you'd think that that would lead to second thoughts about the program. Why are we still shipping huge amounts of armament as if there were about to be Beslan-like takeovers of buildings with hundreds of people in them, like the Moscow Theater or something? That doesn't happen. So presumably we can save ourselves uh, the money, and, and of course it's more than just a money cost, of arming ourselves as if they did happen. There is this, uh, this other element specifically with respect to Ferguson, but it is a, it is a problem elsewhere, which is uh, reporters who are merely attempting to document what's going on are either uh, arrested or, in, in the case of some Al Jazeera America journalists, hit with tear gas and then have their equipment uh, disassembled when they run away. It has been a real education for people how uh, the press 
has been treated so shabbily in Ferguson, um, nearly everyone realizes that if they're willing to do this to the press, uh, then they're probably not afraid to do that to some uh, obscure citizen uh, when no one is looking. But you've had reporters for the Huffington Post and Washington Post arrested. You've had uh, the alderman who was the leading Twitter source of information for people, an alderman from St. Louis. Uh, he was arrested uh, and uh, eventually released. And the reasons, when they give the reasons at all, they are somewhat puzzling reasons, like um, uh, the, the police felt that this area should be cleared. Well, okay, that... Uh, that explains the police's thinking, but it doesn't necessarily explain the legality of um, why were so many uh, commands seemingly issued to stop filming. Uh, there has been some court testing of what is believed to be the right to film, but you know, even without having to go to court, you can think of what the First Amendment is for and the tremendous importance on a practical level of being able to have citizens filming uh, what are often going to be uh, tremendously important news events with um, long-term impact uh, if, uh, as the police seem to want, not just in Ferguson, but in many other situations around the country, uh, if the police believe that they can simply order people to stop filming, um, we will have no record of what they do. There is sort of a, a, a disconnect here between keeping the peace and maintaining total control over a specific geographic area. And that, that seems to have been, uh, that line has been, seems to have been completely erased. It is more of a military c concept uh, that you must completely control an area and pacify it. And it is more of a traditional policing concept that you identify what risks there are and let life uh, go back to normal as, as much as possible um, uh, while you're chasing the bad guys as opposed to controlling the territory. And so much of the Ferguson outrage has been from these uh, clumsy at best, uh, and you could say worse things, crowd control techniques, whether it be telling people that they may not legally walk on the streets, or whether it's uh, lobbing tear gas into their front yards, uh, dramatic confrontations in which residents of Ferguson said, <laughs> I, when asked to disperse, I'm in my front yard. I, this is my own property. I live here. And the answer they got was tear gas, uh, specifically aimed at them. That's called to mind for a lot of people, military tactics. And part of the irony here is that if you talk to actual uh, military people who've been in Iraq and other war zones recently, uh, I hear again and again variations on the theme of, uh, I was in a war zone, and they were not armed anywhere nearly that heavily, and they treated people with more respect. If you are an actual army of occupation, the irony is you will probably be given very professional uh, training, and you will probably be told to uh, calm things down so that the civilians can trust and like you if possible. This is an issue where libertarians took the lead and have been at the forefront for many years. 
Uh, Radley Balco is very well known for uh, the excellent book, Rise of the Warrior Cop, that he published a couple of years ago. Uh, but Cato Institute has repeatedly covered it. Reason Magazine has repeatedly covered it. And uh, this is important now because we have a moment with Senator Rand Paul speaking out, with Representative Justin Amash speaking out. We have a moment uh, where it's possible to cross ideological lines and get people listening to each other in a way that they usually tend to screen each other out. There is a real moment of opportunity here with what's happened in Ferguson to bring people together in the resolution that we can't go on um, with an ever more military police. Uh, We have to turn back. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org. 